Hey folks, welcome back to the Friday show here on the Culture Jack podcast. My name is Dustin and I will be your host today for the show. And today on the show, we're going to talk about why Marvel is brilliant, why they're absolute madmen, but absolutely brilliant as well. But before we get into that, uh, if you're new here on the show, welcome. Welcome to the Friday show on the Friday show, which is hosted by yours truly every week. Uh, you will find maybe a, uh, a deep dive into the inner workings of my mind. And for those longtime listeners of the show, uh, those are very, very shallow waters indeed. But on the Friday show, we talk about things that I think are interesting, that I think you will find interesting, and usually fit into the comic book, superhero, movie, video game, anime sort of bent that we have here on the podcast. Oh, technology as well. Uh, and we do have other shows on the podcast as well. So if this is not your particular cup of tea, we've got shows on Friday, Saturday, most of the time for on today's episode where we review and recap an episode of a thing that we're watching. We've got a show on Sunday to recap news. We've got a show on Monday, which is uh, one of the partners in this podcast, Anthony, uh, talking about things that you know, make the hair on the back of his neck stand on end. And then we also have a show on Thursday where we talk, well, I guess more news, but uh, there's some uh, announcements regarding those news shows that will come on Sunday, most likely, or we'll start on Sunday, I guess. And and, and so I want to get into this podcast by uh, telling you that I have been a Marvel fan from way back. From the 90s. So, like, not way, way back, but from the 90s. That's, I think, where Anthony and myself get a lot of our nostalgia for this sort of stuff. Is from the 90s X-Men animated television series that was on Saturday mornings. Um, this episode, this theme that I'm going with uh, for today's episode was actually inspired by a conversation that I was having with Anthony. And we were talking about Shang-Chi because Shang-Chi just dropped a new trailer and it's it's brilliant. Like the, the first trailer that they dropped was good. And I'm very excited to see some proper martial arts introduced into the MCU. There's been good fights. There's been good action scenes, of course. But the closest that we got to a a solid martial arts character arc in a show or a series was Iron Fist. And for anyone that watched Iron Fist on Netflix, you will know what a what a disappointment that was. Frankly, I, I mean, if we're honest, uh, the main character was angsty, hardly ever showed his powers. And the fights had so many cuts in them, you wondered if they needed to rehearse or choreograph them at all. Maybe that's a little rude to the uh, choreographer, but if you watch those shows, you'll know know exactly what I'm talking about. No, Shang-Chi looked amazing from the outset, or it looked like a good, good kung fu flick from the outset. The second trailer that we got for Shang-Chi, it's got so much more in it. And I'm sure uh, Anthony will talk about it on Sunday or Monday. Uh, but the trailer has what appears to be one of the main Iron Man villains, Fing Fang Foom, a giant dragon. And then also there is a return of and 
uh, from looking at some of the images online, a, a little bit of a redesign on the character Abomination from Edward Norton's Hulk movie. I know it wasn't him. I don't know. I don't remember who directed that Hulk movie, but Edward Norton was the previous Bruce Banner, the previous Hulk. <clears throat> this is not about Shang-Chi, but we were just talking about how amazing it was that all of these little pieces came back together and there was something for everyone. There's something for a longtime fan of the comics, uh, whether you saw Fing Fang Foom and Iron Man battling on a collectible card or in a comic or maybe in one of those early uh, 90s era X-Men or Marvel cartoons, or it's got nostalgia as well from the early MCU movies. And so this is why I think Marvel is brilliant because Marvel builds in nostalgia into each each one of its properties. I mean, any beloved thing can build nostalgia. Like if you you really enjoy, you know, Kleenex boxes and you really are uh, fascinated by designs on Kleenex boxes, you will look back in the past and you will go, man, you remember that design? I think it was in 2002 when they had that cross promotion with. Uh, Malcolm in the Middle or whatever that I, I don't know what shows were, were big in uh, 2002 but whatever kind of thing that you have you you can have a nostalgia for it so that's not I guess nothing unique to Marvel the way Marvel and Disney Marvel specifically have capitalized on that nostalgia is amazing now nostalgia itself is a hell of a drug like you <laughs> you can think of a thing in the past and that thing you will have built up in your mind because it is not a true representation of what that thing really was. And moreover, you've had more experiences and exposures around that thing and around other similar things in maybe a shared media space or a shared industry that give you a much better perspective on the thing. And the example I'll give is the old animated He-Man show. I, as a child, watched a lot of He-Man. Uh, He-Man famously was not even built as a cartoon first. It was toys that they wanted to sell. And so they built the cartoon around the toys. Kind of, I say it's kind of backwards, but I think that's being done all along. Why do you think these Avengers change costumes in every movie they're in? Of course, it's to sell new versions of those Avengers to children, uh, which is way more profitable than the movies will ever be. I believe don't quote me on it, but I think that I think that's true. So I went back and watched these He-Man movies, which I just adored and idolized the characterization of these of these people in these shows. And they're terrible. They are not good. I've gone back with other similar franchises like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, it wasn't as bad, but it was still pretty dang bad. It did not live up to the memory. And I think Kevin Smith, I listened to his his podcast, Fat Man Beyond, and he is, I believe, the executive producer or showrunner on Masters of the Universe Revelations, which is the new He-Man show that is coming out on Netflix, the reboot. He said, you know, when, when I watched He-Man as a young person, I would... I didn't see what it actually was. I saw these these great fight scenes, these epic scaled battles, these mighty heroes, and not lackluster animation and repeating plot lines 
like we'd see over and over if we were to go back and watch it with our our new, more expanded perspective. He said the way that he wanted to develop this new show was to capture what children saw in their brains when they watched that show to give him the same kind of feeling. Now, I've had I've had similar thoughts on the subject of nostalgia and thought how cool it would be if nostalgia if that if it could keep up, if whatever property it was could keep up with your nostalgia, how interesting that would be. Uh, so it's really it's a it's a hell of a drug, like I said. And for Marvel, for me, I wasn't huge into the comics. Like I read a few comics, but mainly my obsession with Marvel came from that animated X-Men show in the 90s. I would remember getting up every morning and there was a series of, of cartoons. You know, you'd have to work your way through Garfield and things like that uh, before you got to what we would say were the good ones. And <laughs> I remember uh, I was in baseball and my mom was like, OK, we've got to go. We've got a baseball game or baseball practice. I can't recall. Uh, and we we're in the car. And I remember having just the biggest fight with my mother about not getting to watch the new episode of Spider-Man. And this is long before, you know, direct uh, on-demand TV where you can rewind and save and record. I mean, you could record, you can stick a VHS in the in the TV and record that way. However, I did not get to watch Spider-Man. I remember that so vividly that I was so upset that she wouldn't let me stay home and watch the Spider-Man show. But that's what I live for. I, I love that stuff. And I think... As a child in that era, in that time frame, it was, it was very scarce. Like now a, a child can turn on a Netflix, Hulu, YouTube, and get that stuff on demand whenever they want, however much they want or however much their parents will allow them. For us, for Anthony and myself, we would have to, we would have to wait, God forbid. We would have to be patient. We only got a quick, quick bite of it every week. And then, you know, later after, after school for a couple hours, they had some good stuff on before murder. She wrote, uh, came on, but that was my big introduction to, to Marvel and my brother, myself, uh, Anthony, a bunch of my other friends collected X-Men cards of which I just found my, my folder, my binder full of them. And Anthony tells me that they're they're worthless, but I think he's just mistaken. No, he's probably right. He he knows <laughs> he knows a lot a lot more about this stuff than I do. Uh, the Marvel comics I didn't much read. However, when I was older, I would have to I would have to uh, make a make a good long road trip in order to get to work. Uh, and when I when I did, I would stop at this gas station and they had a comic rack. That was just, a, it was a small comic rack, you know, four sides to it, maybe five or six high. And I remember, remember would, I would get a comic from that gas station every time I went through the area. Uh, and that was my introduction actually to the Civil War saga with Wolverine. But that was, you know, when I was much, much old, older. Uh, so the reason that I think, you know, comics do it well, cartoons do it great, but why the MCU has captured and and defined that nostalgia of an entire generation so well. Of course, there are older people. I, I mean, I'm an older person, but like I'm talking, you know, people in their 70s and their 80s that 
grew up in the golden ages of comics that they got nostalgic for these new MCU movies for the, the comics that they used to read. One of my uncles is one of them. And he says, I, I was so excited when Captain America came out because yeah, they'd made other movies before, but they never really captured him in this way. And I agree. Uh, so I think it's funny that Marvel is playing on the nostalgia of older folks uh, with with these these movies. Marvel is playing on the nostalgia of you know folks my age. I'm 36 years old uh, by playing on the nostalgia of the cartoons in the 90s, and then what they're doing now. Well, they are having Grandpa and Dad. Take you to the movie, you young, young child is they are creating yet another stair step of people that are nostalgic for this kind of entertainment, for these kinds of shows, for these kinds of movies. Uh, And so at the at the onset of the MCU, of the Disney MCU, they didn't know where it was going. Right. They wanted to they wanted to make Iron Man. If they could if they could do that, they could get a a reformed Robert Downey Jr. to play Tony Stark. And they thought, well, that'd be pretty cool if we got to make that. And they did. And it's, it saved them. Uh, did it save them from bankruptcy? No, it made Disney's purchase of them worthwhile, I guess. And I, never mind. Iron Man wasn't the first one. It was that Edward Norton Hulk before Mark Ruffalo came and took on the mantle. And then it was Iron Man. Though the Hulk did not do as well as Iron Man. Iron Man, let's be honest, was the real kicking off point of the MCU. So at the beginning, they were like, okay, well, we don't have the rights to the X-Men. We do not have the rights to Spider-Man. We have these B-grade characters, and we're going to see if we can't make a movie out of them. And so they did. And then they made another movie. And at the beginning, it was almost hard for them to see that they could make successful movies out of Iron Man, or at least as it's been described in media and in interviews, it was hard for them to see that those characters could be successful. Now, what it has become today is all of the, the side characters, all of the minor roles in the MCU are moving out and spreading their wings like Falcon. They're moving out and really, you know, strong arming the competition like Bucky Barnes. They're going and they're they're casting a spell on us like Wanda Maximoff. These these are these puns are too great. Uh, And they're enchanting us, of course, like Loki. What I'm saying here is that it's so cool to see characters that what have uh, would otherwise have been like a throwaway character that would have been just like an Easter egg for a steely eyed fan to see became main characters and are getting more and more fleshed out. And in my conversation with, with Anthony, you know, we were kind of lamenting. We were kind of lamenting was like, yeah, you know, these Disney shows are great, but I wish, I wish there were bigger tie-ins. I wish there were bigger introductions. And we got to talking and, and we decided that, yeah, you know, there will be bigger introductions at some point. There will be more massive plot points that are added in these Disney shows. But for now, they're getting us used to the idea that these second characters 
are more than, you know, a lot of the surface level stuff that we had been shown before. And at some point, we are going to get big plot points announced in the movies that will or not in the movies, but in the shows that will be just throwaway lines of exposition in uh, the movie that it ties into. Be like, oh, yeah, this guy, he saved us, you know, from a huge tsunami. And then that was it. That's all you get in the movies. But if you're paying attention and you're watching all these Disney Plus shows or if you have the subscription, you know what that's about. You know what that huge tsunami was about. And it was no more, you know, raising the oceans against the people of Wakanda that the uh, the what are the elite soldiers of Wakanda have to battle back. But we got to see all that in a Disney Plus show. I mean, potentially. So just just coming this year. To build this new nostalgia for these parents and grandparents that are taking their kids and grandchildren, respectively, to the movies so they can then, you know, in 30, 40 years, reminisce on those movies and buy whatever new Marvel product is out. Most likely the MCU will still be going, and we'll talk about that in a second. But coming this year alone, we already had WandaVision. We had Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We had Loki, or we're having Loki right now. We're in the middle of it. We've got Black Widow at the beginning of next month and then probably the end of end of next month, maybe the beginning of August. We're getting the what if show and the what if show is such a cool concept to me because in in what if they talk about those same things that comic book fans have talked about for so long. Do you think that Cyclops would actually kill Wolverine? Do you, do you think that if the Scarlet Witch and Phoenix went up against each other, the Earth would be destroyed? I, it's, it's very exciting to me, and we are very excited to cover that one on the podcast. Shang-Chi is coming out this year. The Eternals, Hawkeye, and Miss Marvel. Let's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine titles coming out this year. But that's just the MCU proper. Now, the MCU, Marvel, Disney, they didn't have the rights to all their characters. Fox had the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. Disney bought Fox, of course. Now, whatever your hesitations, your fears, your anxieties about a, a monopoly, put those aside for the moment and let's just indulge in the fantasy, shall we? So Disney Marvel bought Fox, and Sony had all of the Spider-Man characters and Disney has a very, very comfortable deal, apparently, with Sony to use Spider-Man. So they, they finally have all of their stuff back together. But Sony's coming out with a couple movies this year as well. They've got Venom coming out and they've got Spider-Man No Way Home. And Spider-Man No Way Home especially is supposed to have some pretty big ties to the MCU proper. Well, I mean, it doesn't have, it's an MCU movie like the other Spider-Mans were. Spider-Man, Spider-Man movies were. However, Venom is supposed to have some ties. They are kind of going to tie this thing together. It could be due to some of the things that they're doing in Loki or some of the things that they intend to do in Doctor Strange where multiverse aspects of Marvel Comics opens up. That's another thing too. Marvel has come so far with the MCU. Like this stuff has always been a comic staple. 
alternate timelines, different versions of yourself, multiple universes where there's a slightly, slightly different scenario that played out and another world is taken over or whatever. All of that stuff is like typical comic book fare. We are not used to seeing that stuff on the big screen. Hell, they had to make all of the X-Men characters uniforms like a standard black. Like it, it, Wolverine did not wear his yellow stripes. And that was, to be honest, a travesty. But they had to ground so much of the universe. Even in the early MCU, they had to science explain it away. Whether, you know, it's that Marvel television pseudoscience. But they had to make it that there was a logical explanation uh, for the thing. And so that leads me to my next point where some people are saying... They've got a little superhero fatigue. Now, they have been saying that they've had superhero fatigue since the Thor movie came out. Three Marvel movies? Are you guys kidding? That's too many Marvel movies. Everyone's getting tired of superhero movies. And these great directors standing up and saying how much they can't stand superhero movies and how much superhero movies are ruining the, the, uh, the whole of the movie industry. But they're not. And no one's tired of them. They still they still make a billion dollars every time they hit a, a movie theater. Well, I mean, I guess depending on the on the franchise, the MCU does certainly. The DC may, maybe not so much. And none of them have been in the movie theaters for a long time. So whether we had superhero fatigue or not, we might not have it anymore, right? We've had a year and a half of of a pandemic that has kept us out of the movie theaters, or at the very least it has kept the movies out of the movie theaters. Uh, Disney does not want to release a multi-million dollar movie to an audience that is going to barely make up its production costs back. Absolutely not. That's why they've held on to black. we have waited for black widow. I believe it is going on a year and a half. It was supposed to come out, no, not a year and a half. That's maybe a year. I think it was supposed to come out May of uh, February or May of 2020. And then it's just been sitting on the shelf. It's been done. I don't know how they're going to generate the same kind of excitement that they do for Black Widow that they do for other movies. Like I was so hyped up for the Age of Ultron, but uh, Black Widow... It just, it's, there's, you're using all of their scenes in promotional. I mean, I'm still going to watch it. Most likely I'm going to watch it on Disney plus cause they finally caved. You remember those episodes? You remember those episodes a few episodes back where we begged Disney and we begged Marvel on every episode to release black widow on Disney plus just do it. Look at wonder woman. Look at what she's done. Look at the Warner bros media deal. You can do it. Disney just do it. And then they do it. And right about that time, A Quiet Place 2 makes over $100 million on its opening weekend. So maybe they didn't need to do it after all. But I'm happy that they're doing it. Uh, so superhero fatigue. Whether it was a thing before the pandemic, the pandemic has acted as a massive reset button for the whole superhero genre, for all of the Marvel stuff. And now we are all hungry for it. We can see that how... The, the conversations that have been stimulated from 
WandaVision, whether it was the mystery, the theories behind it, the conjecture about whether Mephisto would show up in the next episode or the one after that, whether it was the controversy about the, the racial undertones and overtones in, in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And now the kind of the, the classroom, let me explain what a timeline is versus let me explain what a multiverse is in Loki. A lot of people are having a hard time wrapping their, their heads around those concepts, but the sooner they do, the sooner they're going to be much more excited about what Marvel has in store for us for the rest of this crazy multiverse journey. I'm very excited because though predetermination as the TVA would have you believe, is quite the thing in the MCU, I believe, by at the very least the end of Loki, and if not, the by the end of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, will not be a thing anymore. So I don't think we've got uh, superhero fatigue, um, but think about that. We have more shows, more movies coming out this year than we ever have had a, a Marvel just onslaught. We have we have not had this abundance of Marvel movies in a single year. And I am including the shows as well. And what did I say? It was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven shows and movies coming out this year. That is a lot of Marvel content. So we were starving or we were thirsty and now we are being fed through a fire hose. Um, and, and previously, what was the most Marvel movies that we'd had in a year? Four? Five? And that's excluding Fox movies because they don't count, those legacy films. Though what kind of role are they going to play when this multiverse thing opens up? I'll be excited to see. And other non-canon shows like Peggy Carter, like, or Agent Carter, excuse me, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., all the Netflix shows. When those wormholes open up, they're going to open up big. We're going to see some stuff that we haven't seen before. I'm very excited. I've had a lot of nostalgia for things. He-Man, Thundercats, you reboot those properties. You make it, make me feel like a kid again. I will, I will give you my money. I will give you my wallet, tell you to take what you need, and just enjoy myself. There's a difference, though, in maintaining a live-action movie universe compared to a comic book movie universe, comic book movie universe. <laughs> this is the comic book movie universe, a comic book universe. Obviously actors age characters on a page do not. And so how are you going to continue this pace with characters who you, you need to have continued to be portrayed by the same people, but they're going to age out of their roles or get tired of it, want to move on, maybe be a director, maybe do something a little more uh, as an as an auteur than as just a shill that works for the Disney Marvel machine. They've already solved it, guys. The multiverse, the multiverse, I, I can't guarantee it because I don't get to see the private goings on of one Kevin Feige. But I I would assume that you could very easily bring in a Captain America from another universe. You could very easily bring bring in another Tony Stark. 
And uh, you could very easily even bring in a Black Panther. I know before I have been very adamantly against the recasting of Black Panther. But I think I would be okay if they brought in a new Black Panther from a different universe. Because people online, they talk about being very upset that some of the great Black Panther stories, well, we're not going to get them if they retire the character. And they're, they're just, they just retire T'Challa. They wouldn't retire the Black Panther man- mantle. Of course, Shuri or someone else would take over for it. But there's so many great stories with Black Panther. There's so many great and missed stories with Iron Man, with Captain America, with Black Widow. Although she may be coming back. And, you know, obviously the Black Widow movie is her training a replacement that's been there for years and be like, oh, yeah, by the way, I, you know, help Natasha over here. So the multiverse gives them an option to reboot, restart characters, more youthful characters that can do MCU movies and television shows for a long time. I want to watch these movies and shows till the day I die when I have my feet kicked up in a retirement home next to my brother, next to Anthony, and we're playing video games and we turn it off to watch the new Marvel movie, you know, the 133rd Marvel movie uh, being released onto Disney+. Plus. That's, that's what I want, and that's what I think they can do with this multiverse. And it doesn't just have to be, you know, a multiverse. They could change timelines. They could reverse time. They could do more period pieces. There is a... A whole um, uh, century, there is a a whole millennia between the events of the Eternals and Captain Marvel that they could cover. There is a five-year blip that happened once Thanos snapped his fingers in Infinity War. There's all kinds of things they could do in that time period. And it's so bonkers to me. It, 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 what a what a massive work. And I heard, who was it? It was the showrunner for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh, gosh, what was that fella's name? Anyway, he was talking about meeting with Marvel and going into the studio and and being really stressed out about not having complete and, and free creative license on his movies or on his show. But then when he went into the, the Marvel Hall and he saw all of the little... Um, little pieces of Marvel history that lined the shelves as he talked to the people, he realized what a collaborative effort this whole thing was. And, and it has to be, it has to be in order for it to maintain any semblance of cohesion between it. And so I know that they got directors coming on and they have, they have boards of continuity experts that make sure that things fit into certain places as they should be. You've got Kevin Feige and his, what I assume has to be probably a three or four block wide whiteboard with every little detail mapped out introductions of characters and where they're going to appear later. I believe they've even said it. They've said it in, um, in interviews that they have at least the next 10 years of Marvel media mapped out. And so with, with all of that, what I'm trying to say here, what I've been trying to say this whole episode is that Marvel, Disney, Marvel, the MCU, Kevin Feige is genius and it's genius. It's stuff that I like. 
but it's also genius because they are building the nostalgia that they are going to reap later. They are sowing seeds that will be harvested in the future for Marvel fans. And I, I can't help but think that that's just the coolest thing, even though it is a just a corporate money machine. It's it's something that we get to to share and enjoy and we get to enjoy it, enjoy it, not just to their benefit, but we benefit too. every time we get excited, every time we sit, sit on the edge of our seat or share a, a story of an event that transpired or a, a, an awesome action set piece or a scene that really made us tear up with one of our friends or our coworkers or our family members. Like we are getting paid too. we are getting paid, uh, dividends of emotional stimuli, I think. And as long as Marvel keeps us on this steady drip, as long as they keep coming back with the good stuff, we're not about to give it up. But that's where I'm going to end the episode today. Just talking a little bit about Marvel. Uh, I, I <laughs> not good with the comic stuff. If you want to talk comic Marvel or comic anything really Anthony's going to be the guy you're going to want to talk to so stay tuned for his episodes on Sunday and Monday and make sure you subscribe to the podcast like I said if you enjoyed this episode you enjoyed me just kind of brain tripping through my ideas about why Marvel is you know so so genius and I just I, I couldn't help but kiss kiss their ass in this episode um subscribe subscribe to the podcast leave us a review let us know what you thought tell me i'm a terrible person don't don't do that it'll hurt my feelings make me real sad you can also follow us on uh, facebook or on twitter at culture jacked and you can send us an email too at culture.collective.x2 at gmail.com if you haven't seen it we i think not numbered episodes, but I think we're over 200 episodes on the channel with all of our specials, our numbered episodes and everything else. So if this didn't strike your fancy, there's definitely something on the culture Jack podcast that will. (sighs) That's all I've got for you. Have a wonderful weekend guys. And we'll see you on the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.